Welcome to the Possibility of Today radio show. This weekly series mixes entertainment with inspiration and information to help you learn how to live in a different way and take advantage of all the possibilities of today. Do you want to find the way to your something more and live life to the fullest? Then you're in the right place. Host Sybil Shavis will guide you through an exciting journey of self-discovery and transformation so you can be entertained, be inspired, and be informed. Now here's Sybil. Hey, have you heard this story? It's actually coming out of Boston, and it's about the first-degree murder charges against a former New England Patriots Titan. His name's Aaron Hernandez. Well, in case you haven't, Hernandez is 23, and he's currently in jail on first-degree murder and weapon charges because prosecutors say that he orchestrated and carried out a murder on June 17th. Now, obviously, the story is disturbing for many reasons, but what really seems bizarre to so many people is Aaron Hernandez had seemingly all of these things going for him, like this huge NFL contract, all this talent, and it just doesn't make sense that he would turn around, you know, put everything on the line and commit murder. And what has happened with Aaron Hernandez has also actually shed light on what is looking to be this continual issue or at least a disturbing trend, if you will, with the NFL in terms of the number of players that are continually being arrested for crimes. Since the Super Bowl in early February, 29 NFL players have actually been arrested. In fact, the off-season arrest rate for NFL players right now is up 75% year over year. And of course, everyone is noticing it because these numbers are just so high. Check out a clip from Sports News. All right, on the field, they're a part of the most successful league in all of sports. I'm talking about the NFL. Off the field, in many cases, they have not been role models. In this offseason, in the NFL, 29 players have been arrested since the Super Bowl. So that's a significant number of arrests. And, of course, everyone is wondering, you know, why are NFL players putting so much on their line, their contracts, their sponsorships, you know, their futures, why are they putting everything on the line and getting into all this trouble? And the obvious question also is, what can be done to fix it so that the situation doesn't continue to worsen? And people are throwing around all kinds of theories and reasons why essentially the NFL needs to address this issue. And interestingly enough, I do think that there's something that could help tremendously But it's not a solution that I've heard suggested. And honestly, it's not a solution that a lot of people just think of. However, there's been a ton of research and so much evidence around this solution that proves just how well it works. And the solution is mindfulness. Yes, you heard me right. I think that what the NFL should strongly consider doing is integrating mindfulness into their practice. And that would allow players to really understand how to better move through their days. Because when you're moving through the day mindfully, you are aware of exactly what you're doing the moment you're doing it. Your mind isn't off wandering or running through 
tons of thoughts or things that you're worried about, but instead you're feeling and experiencing this moment in front of you and you're able to bring your highest and best self to that moment and make really good decisions, which obviously would allow these NFL players to really reevaluate the decisions that they're making. I mean, it's always been fascinating to me, right? When you can come across two things that seemingly have no relationship to each other, like the NFL and the practice of mindfulness. But then when you step back and you really take a closer look, you can see that when you line up the pieces next to each other, they fit together like perfect puzzle pieces. And the research just overwhelmingly supports all of these benefits and the resulting behavioral changes that you see when people start integrating a practice of mindfulness. In fact, the reason why we are talking about the NFL in this solution of mindfulness is because of this exact research and the wide range proven benefits that obviously would not only positively impact NFL players, but would literally positively impact anyone that started moving through their days mindfully. Practicing mindfulness has also been proven to eliminate stressors, you know, just those everyday things that come up or the things that we're worried about. You know, those things that you may worry about from time to time, like work or money or your relationships or your health or your kids because you want the best for them. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Well, as we've been discussing, mindfulness has this wide range of benefits. And so it's been shown to also help people, you know, eliminate stress from their life and not continually worry about things. And it's imagine mindfulness being like a huge fire hose. And of course, it's capable of putting out those big fires, like the ones that we're potentially seeing right now in the NFL with these athletes that are in need of serious behavioral changes. But mindfulness also can be used, you know, again, it's a fire hose, so it can be used on us and whatever fires we may have burning in our minds, like worries and stresses and just anything that's continually running through our mind. Actually, to that point, do you know that there is a tendency to literally spend the majority of our time either focused on the past or worried about the future. Listen to what Dr. Rockwell explained on an episode of Psych Live. She is actually a doctor that specializes in mindfulness. And she explained that we could end up spending our entire lives worrying. We spend nine tenths of our life catastrophizing about the future or bemoaning the past. And that's where we spend our entire life. When I first came across that clip, I was like, nine tenths of the time? I mean, that's so much. And, you know, I just started thinking through it and I was like, you know, that's definitely possible because I know in the past I definitely had a tendency to worry a lot and I could see how it could potentially be something that I was just doing way too much. And then I came across this other piece of information about how needless our worrying is. There was this study funded by the National Science Foundation and Dr. Walter Cavert, who did the study, discovered something really interesting about the things we worry about. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% of the things we worry about are about things that have happened in the past. 
12% of our worries are over unfounded health concerns, meaning that there are health issues that are never going to happen or are not going to be nearly as bad as what we worried about. And then 10% of our worries are insignificant or petty or just about things that in the long run are not going to make much of a difference in our lives one way or another. So when you add up all of that, it means that 92% of the things that we're worrying about are never going to happen, already happened, or are not really all that big of a deal. That means that we have 92% of wasted worrying. Isn't that crazy? I just thought that study was so fascinating because obviously all this worrying leads to stress and it's something we know we shouldn't be doing, but it's easy to kind of fall into that trap of doing it. And that's what I love about mindfulness, right? Because it is a tool, it is a practice, and it's something that we can apply to how we move through the day and change what we're doing so that we're not doing 92% of needless worrying. I mean, don't you think it would change the way you experience life in so many positive ways if you no longer had to be bogged down by all the things that you may have a tendency to worry about from time to time? And that's where mindfulness comes into play. Listen to how John Kabat-Zinn, he is a professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Listen to how he explains that mindfulness is the awareness that arises by paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And when you can do this, it just allows you to not get consumed with worrying and lost in your mind. Mindfulness is the awareness that arises by paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally, which once you start to pay attention is colossal. How many ideas and opinions and likes and dislikes and everything actually drive us literally from moment to moment so that we can be lost in thought, lost in our heads. And that's what's so interesting and makes mindfulness such a great solution is that it really prevents us from getting lost in our minds and from you know being consumed with this worrying or in the case of NFL people just reacting to situations without being thoughtful and making really good and informed decisions. And what's great, right, is that we can practice mindfulness and get our minds into the right shape, essentially making them healthier. And the way this works is really interesting. And it's actually been a topic in neuroscience because, of course, this ability to strengthen our minds through mindfulness hasn't always been common knowledge. And it's why, of course, you know, maybe there aren't people in the NFL that are suggesting this as a solution. But now we have all of this evidence and all of this research in the field of neuroscience that shows just how effective mindfulness is. And although people may look at it as this new approach and radical, it's just not. As Dr. Amishi Jha from the University of Pennsylvania explains, it's really no different than when you're like working out and you know you have to go to the gym and you want to work out certain muscles and say you just are, I'm going to like lift weights and work out my triceps. We know if we continue to work out our triceps for weeks or months that it's going to change our overall 
physical appearance. And practicing mindfulness is no different, right? It's just that you're working out the brain instead of the body. And that's going to impact certain muscles that potentially need to be strengthened. Listen to how Dr. Jaw explains it. It's interesting to think about this as a radical idea because at some level, based on the history of the field of neuroscience, it is pretty new. But on the other hand, if I asked, you know, how many of you think that uh, engaging in certain kinds of physical activity will change the way the body works? Our cultural understanding now is that specific types of activity can alter the body in noticeable ways. If you sprint, you're going to have different leg muscles developed than if you decide to do, you know, crunches. Um, and I think that it's very similar. The mind is really no different than the body, that engaging in very specific exercises can promote health. And indeed, engaging in regular mental activity of certain sorts will promote this health. So essentially, as she explained, mindfulness really is a way to make our minds healthier. And it's no different than when we do go to the gym and work out. And we know if we do that, our bodies stay in shape. <laughs> and if we don't, they don't. And there's just so many scientifically proven benefits that we know of that come from mindfulness. You know, we've been talking about obviously the reduction in stress and really being able to not get consumed with worrying. It's been shown to really improve the ability to manage negative emotions, right? And make good decisions like we've been talking about to help out these NFL athletes that are committing these crimes. And I mean, there's just so many other benefits in terms of enhanced concentration, positive impacts on the immune system. And people have literally been shown to lead healthier and more fulfilling lives when they're able to move through their days mindfully. In fact, there actually have been studies and just documented evidence of how mindfulness has transformed the minds of inmates in prison and even breast cancer patients. And in terms of these studies with these inmates, some of the key things that they noticed and the benefits that happened at the end of them integrating these mindfulness practices into their day and being able then to move through their days more mindfully, they had a enhanced sense of well-being. Their health improved. There was a reduction of medical problems like high blood pressure and even things like increased self-esteem, lower substance abuse issues, greater anger management skills, significant reduction in aggressive behavior. The benefits really were just across the board. And as we continue to see in all of this research, you know, the benefits of mindfulness can just be used to combat so many issues and problems. To that point, listen to another excerpt. It's actually from the same interview with Dr. Rockwell. And she references the positive effects on both this inmate population and breast cancer survivors. Dr. Rockwell explained that many of her own breast cancer patients came up to her and thanked her after she had trained them in mindfulness because they told her that that one practice allowed them to stop obsessing and worrying about what was going to happen with their health. And instead, they were able to just enjoy the time that they had with their families and their grandchildren and really were able to stay in the here and now. And that, of course, helps with their immune system and healing. Listen to what she shared. 
Well, there's been a lot of um, research done working with breast cancer survivors, other survivors of cancer, prisoners in prison. So there's been a lot of great research on working with the prison population. And with cancer, you know, I also teach mindfulness at a hospital to breast cancer patients. And they come in and they look extremely chagrined. They're very worried about their future. And a week or so later, they'll come up to me and they'll say, thank you. And I, I'll say, I didn't do anything. What? And they said, I got my life back. Because before, you know, I, my grandchildren were around me, but I wasn't with them. I was worried about my future. Now I can actually be present with my children and my grandchildren in the room. And that's what the research is bearing out, is that especially with cancer patients, they're able to be so much more happy and well in the here and now. And of course, then your immune function's working better, and everything can sort of work toward healing instead of more catastrophizing, which activates the fight-or-flight response, cortisol production, and it's not healthy. Isn't that just such interesting information? I mean, and it really just drives the point home, doesn't it, on why we should all start integrating this practice of mindfulness because there's just too much research showing all of the positive effects in inmates, cancer survivors, I mean, across the board, so much so that there's just no way that you can doubt whether or not mindfulness in our own life would alleviate our own worrying and stresses. And that's why when I was listening to the NFL and they're going through all of these problems and these issues and the increase in crime, mindfulness just popped into my mind. So just to finish this discussion that we've been having about the NFL issues and integrating mindfulness, if you've been following this story in the news, you've probably heard about some of the problems and how people realize you know, that these arrests really are an issue. And there's all these theories that are floating around as to what's going wrong. To that point, Frank Tarkenton, who's actually a former NFL player, you could just tell he's almost beside himself. He's like, the situation is such a mess. There's too much money in the system. There's no standards, you know, and the NFL really, in his opinion, is not doing what they should be doing in terms of bringing people into the system. Listen to what Frank Tarkenton said when he was being interviewed on Fox. It's a mess. Uh, 29 people arrested. They're making billions of billions of dollars. The owners are rock stars. They're billionaires. The players are making tens of millions of dollars a year. So much money in college football and pro football. They're overlooking the principles. There are no standards of who they allow to play in, the, in colleges or in, in professional football. Now, I don't doubt that the issues that Frank Tarkenton touched on aren't real issues that also may be part of the problem. But, you know, I like to peel back layers of a situation and really get into them and look underneath the surface. Because in my experience, that's always when you find even more issues, like the significant issues that you really want to make sure you're solving so you don't just have temporary solutions. And then you also find really progressive ways of solving problems that may have otherwise been overlooked. And wouldn't you say that there just has to be a reason, right? Why we're seeing the same issues repeated time and time again in the NFL with these athletes who are putting everything on the line to commit a crime. And obviously this isn't an issue, right? Where all NFL players 
are committing crimes because there are tons, tons of success stories where players have worked really hard and made continual good decisions and done really well in the system. So the question that comes to my mind is what's going on in the minds of this growing group of NFL players that can't seem to stay out of trouble? You know, why are their minds all tangled and tied in so many knots that they can't see clearly enough to make a good decision about their career, their livelihood, moral standards, and more importantly, is there something we can do, right? Is there a solution that we can give them that will help them start untying these knots? And that's when it clicked. I'm like, of course, it's the same solution that we all need. Now, obviously, we are not, you know, abandoning our moral standards or committing crimes, but the reality is, is that mindfulness and specifically the benefits of mindfulness are far reaching to encompass all of these different situations. So I started digging around and this is when it got even more interesting because do you know that mindfulness has been used successfully with athletes and it's worked. I mean, it's worked really well to get them to focus on the present moment and to stay in the zone. So that means it really could just be a matter of integrating the right mindful practices into NFL practices and showing them how to use mindfulness, not only to stay in the zone while they're competing, but to also take it and use it in their lives. Actually, Phil Jackson was one of the first coaches to integrate mindful practices into his practice when he was coaching both the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers. And just like we heard when Dr. Jaw was explaining earlier, Phil Jackson understood that it was no different than conditioning the body. Phil Jackson said that he knew he needed to integrate mindfulness into his practices so that he could build mental strength up. Listen to an excerpt of an interview with Oprah and Phil Jackson. You know, I, I approached it with mindfulness. Mindfulness, yes. You know, a, a lot of our players in the NBA are from deeply religious families, very much like my background. Yes, yeah. And, you know, anything that would com, uh, be a conflict of their religious beliefs, I didn't want to, to touch or get them upset about it. So we talked about mindfulness as being, you know, as much as we pump iron and we run to build our strength up, we need to build our mental strength up. And we all know, right, the success that Phil Jackson had with all the teams that he coached and all the championships that he won. Listen to how he said he integrated it specifically into his practices. So we practiced mindfulness is what you have to do. Would you do this before every game? You would do this regularly? You would do this? We, we introduced it and we introduced it in training camp. And then day of games, we started using it. And it ultimately became a process where... It's like centering yourself. That's right, just getting back and being centered. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Listen also to how Phil Jackson describes the process and essentially what he wanted his players to do so that they could just take a moment and reset before they just reacted to whatever was going on. When you come off the court... You've had a bad call, things are going wrong for you. You sit on the bench, you take a breath, and you reseat yourself. You reset yourself. And you do that through this mindfulness. You just come right back in and collect yourself. 
I just thought that was so interesting. And of course, what he says about mindfulness, you know, allowing yourself to reset and get centered is just so true. And the benefits can clearly extend beyond the court because as we've seen in all this research, mindfulness positively impacts the way that people are able to move through their day. We saw it with the cancer patients and the inmates. I mean, the list goes on and on. So you can imagine if some of these NFL players who were committing these crimes were being trained in mindfulness, the story today could be dramatically different because they would have known how to do exactly what Phil Jackson was describing in terms of centering themselves and taking a moment before they just reacted to whatever the situation was or made a decision without really thinking through the consequences. And of course, we're not going to ever know for sure until we really try to see if this is an approach that could work. But I'd be willing to bet that if coaches started integrating mindfulness practices into their practice, it would just cut down tremendously on some of the issues that you're seeing in the NFL. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with all of this because we've seen all of these positive effects of mindfulness on so many different people in so many different situations. And it's obvious that something that's this powerful can help us focus our own minds and end like we've been talking about our own worrying and stress and help us manage through any other issues we're going through. So now it's time to really, you know, turn the lens on ourselves and find some real practical ways to start moving through our days differently or more mindfully. And if we've already integrated mindful practices into our day or we already feel like we're moving through mindfully, we're going to talk with some experts that are going to give some suggestions on ways that you can even heighten that and really deepen the experience of being mindful as you move through the day. Stick around. We are going to get into all of that next. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the possibility of today on webtalkradio.net. We have just been talking about mindfulness, which is this practice of moving through your day, being aware fully of the moment in front of you and just experiencing the moment as your highest self, if you will. Or as we heard from John Kabat-Zinn, the professor of medicine from the University of Massachusetts, it's the awareness that arises by paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And when you do this, it just allows you to not get lost in your thoughts or in your mind or consumed with worrying as we've been talking about. And we were also talking about all of the evidence and the research that we've seen that just shows us all the benefits of being able to be mindful as we move through the day. And as we also were discussing earlier, it's easier to fall into that trap, right, where we're spending way too much of our day worrying about the future or the past or just things that won't really have a significant impact on our lives in the future anyway. So now it's time to talk about some specific solutions, right? What are the things that we can do today differently 
that are going to allow us to free ourselves and not be lost in our minds or in needless worrying or not be stressed out. Because as Dr. Davidson, who is actually a world-renowned neuroscientist, he explained that there are going to be these waves, right, in life, and there are going to be things that happen. But if we can cultivate the skills of mindfulness, we don't have to accept the status quo and continually be worried or stressed or, you know, doing 92% of needless worrying because we can train our minds in the right way so that it functions and it allows us to manage through whatever it is that we're dealing with. Listen to how Dr. Davidson explained it during a panel discussion for the Nauer Foundation. The diversity among people in how they respond to life slings and arrows. Um, you know, as the bumper sticker says, stress happens. Uh, <laughs> stuff exactly happens. Not exactly. What it's Not exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's really all about our relationship to uh, these challenges. And uh, I always had the conviction that, um, that we can do better. As a, as a society, and that the, the mind really was central to this, uh, and that we um, don't have to accept the status quo. And if we can actually figure out ways to cultivate skills of mindfulness and related practices early in life, it's possible that uh, those skills will be more enduring and will lead to uh, more... Um, lasting kinds of changes. And I just thought what Dr. Davidson explained was so powerful because it really just shows that, you know, the choice is ours. Like we can choose how we move through our days and we can really integrate these practices that are going to allow us to be more mindful. And to that point, we're now going to hear from Janice Martirano. Janice has a fascinating story. She's actually the former vice president and deputy general counsel for General Mills. And she says she never considered herself a quote unquote new agey type, but she really began to understand mindfulness and the fact that it was a real solution that she wanted to integrate into her day because she was learning more and more about the neuroscience behind it. And she had a particularly stressful period while she was at General Mills and attended this retreat conducted by John Kabat-Zinn, who we've been hearing from. And she said that that retreat literally just changed everything. And so she really started integrating mindfulness even more so than she was into her day as she was moving through it and ended up leaving General Mills to devote herself full time to the Institute of Mindful Leadership, which she f is the founder and executive director of. And this is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to the training of mindfulness and leadership excellence. So I'm so excited that Janice is going to be joining us. She is by all means an expert in mindfulness, and she's going to share with us the specific things that we can and should be doing as we move through the day to practice mindfulness and, of course, to move through the day mindfully. Here's an excerpt from our interview. Can you explain to me, I mean, and I know you probably touched on it, but if I'm just looking for a simple definition and 
you know, my goal is, okay, as I move through my day-to-day, I would like to be mindful. What what does that mean that I'm doing or yeah. that I'm not doing? <laughs> so let's start with what is it? What is mindfulness? And so one definition that you can uh, use for mindfulness is non-judgmental moment-to-moment awareness. So it's paying attention in this moment without carrying um, lots of judgments into what it is you're noticing about this moment. For most of us, we might listen to that definition and say, well, I must be pretty mindful. But as soon as we stop for a minute and start thinking about our day, we might realize that, in fact, we spend most of our day in 2013 on autopilot. So, for example... You might have driven to work today, and as you pulled your car into your space outside your building, you might have recognized for just that moment that I have no idea how the car got here, that it just arrived. We were in the car, but we weren't really present in the car because our minds were probably somewhere else. They were with our son's homework that he forgot on the kitchen table, or they were with our 10 o'clock meeting, but it our minds, our attention was not in the car as we were driving. Another place that that often is uh, a telltale sign that we're not really mindful, we're not really present for our lives, is how many days do you look at your watch at the end of the day and say, ah, oh, 6.30, where did the day go? And it's a very common thing. And that expression is, in fact, what so many people I hear and was true for myself when I hear over and over again is, I lost my day. I don't know what happened to it. It got away from me. Right. And that's one of the telltale signs uh, that we have that we're not present for our days, that we're actually not present for our lives. That's what it really means. Uh, we're not here for our lives. And, and the effect of not being here is manyfold. For example, when we're not here, we're not here for conversations. We miss the connections. So we might find ourselves with great intention sitting down with a friend or a colleague, uh, our boss, and sitting across a table or a desk and having all intentions of listening. And at some point you realize you haven't heard the last five sentences that were said to you. Just not there. Or we miss the opportunities to bring our whole selves, our wisdom, our intuition, our analytical thought to the present moment where we need to make a tough decision because sometimes we have such partial attention to everything that we're really not there. And then the next day or a few hours later, when we look back at that choice we made, we think, what was I thinking? How could I have made that choice? Mm -hmm. Not fully present for those choices. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it it kind of, um, if you could maybe distinguish or maybe, you know, it really does involve mind wandering when your mind is, like you were saying, you know, focused on your son's homework or it's just in another place. And a lot of times it happens and we're not even aware that that's happening. But the fact that it's happening means that we have less attention or not our full attention on the moment in front of us and what we're doing. Yes, um, and so this mind-wandering, as you're calling it, it's what we don't um, necessarily, we're not necessarily trained, uh, especially in the West, to understand that the thoughts and the emotions that can take us away from the present moment uh, are things that we can learn to work with. 
So when your mind, you want to pay attention and your mind takes off to some argument you had an hour ago and it sort of gets ruminating into that cycle of uh, replaying that whole scene that happened before and it's impossible, you think, for you to pay attention here even though you want to pay attention to what's happening right now. What we begin to learn through mindfulness training is we can notice when the thoughts pull us away from right now and we can redirect our attention to the present moment. And that, in fact, is a critical piece of the practice of mindfulness meditation, of training the mind to be attentive here. So we notice when our attention's pulled away and we redirect it. And if you want to try this for yourself, just to get a little taste of what is this mindfulness meditation about? How is it that I can begin to train my mind to be attentive in this moment when I need it to be or when I want it to be? You can just find a place to sit quietly, um, so a place you won't be disturbed, even for just three or four minutes. So this doesn't have to take an hour. Three or four minutes where you can just sit quietly and just begin to feel the sensations of the breath in the body. So as wherever they're most noticeable for you, whether that's your belly or your chest, or some people feel their breath in their throat, wherever you feel it, And your intention is just to sustain attention on that sensation for the whole in-breath and the whole out-breath, and then the next in-breath and the next out-breath. In short order, maybe a few breaths, maybe not even that much, you'll notice that your mind flips away. It gets pulled away somewhere, drifts away somewhere. But what you can do in that moment is simply bring it back. Just like you're escorting a puppy that you're trying to train. That kind of lightness, you know, that kind of gentle but disciplined, escort your attention back. Over and over again, you bring it back to the breath. For those three or four minutes that you're sitting there, just keep bringing it back. And that's the beginning of the training. That training allows you to begin to develop that first hallmark that I mentioned, that focus, the ability to sustain attention when I need you. Right, right. And I mean, I know because I've been practicing mindfulness or, you know, trying to be as thoughtful as I can about practicing it as I move through the day, um, because I actually used to work in corporate America, too, and not to blame corporate America. It was definitely <laughs> something that existed before I worked in corporate America. But my I just had my I had a, I had a very active mind. And it was either solving problems or creating problems or analyzing problems um and you know that had a tendency to feel very heavy you know it's like i was constantly doing exercise mental exercise like running on a hamster wheel you know throughout the course of the day and it was just churning and distracting so much of my attention from like you were saying being able to bring wisdom and knowledge you know and my full attention to whatever it was i was creating in front of me and what I, what really, what you said that really resonated with me is that it really is a practice and you can get better and better at it. Yes, absolutely. It's a journey and it's a lifelong journey. And in fact, the discipline of bringing your attention to this moment, this cultivating of focus and attention is just a small piece of it. So as you begin to notice when you're not mindful, when you're somewhere else other than where you are, when your mind has taken a hike, 
the more you begin to notice and bring your attention back in that you're starting to create some spaciousness around what it is you're noticing in your life, in that moment in your life, and you're able to bring all of your capabilities or more of your capabilities to that moment, not just the kind of check-the-box mentality. You know, We have 15 meetings in one day, and so we just feel like we're running a gauntlet and we're checking the box, you know, get right. this one done, this one done, this one done. And what that does over time is we begin to feel like something's missing, like they're just, you know, uh, even if you are told you're doing a fine job, you know, your your boss is happy, you're kind of doing the objectives. Over and over again, I used to see this in the workplace, and I have been hearing it from, you know, years now of teaching people um, mindful leadership. They, they say that there's something missing, that even though by all outside parameters we're successful, something's missing. Well, what's missing? What's missing is our ability to feel as though we're bringing our full and true selves to those moments, those decisions, those uh, opportunities to connect, those moments in our lives where we can make a difference, whether it's making a difference by being more open to a variety of opinions or making a difference by holding space for people to uh, be more candid or more truthful or more creative or more innovative. Um, or it's simply just having the space to take a breath and say, what's the win-win-win here? And so to that point, you were suggesting the exercise of just, you know, taking what I call a time in and, you know, just taking three or four minutes away and just kind of really focusing on your breath. If you're new to this practice, is that, have you seen that one be, that practice be the most effective like right, like not right away, because I understand it's a practice, but just to really start feeling the benefits, uh, you know, of kind of slowing down your mind and being able to focus on the moment in front of you. I think there's two pieces to it, Sybil. Um, so the first part is finding that what most people might understand as sort of a, a sitting meditation time, where it's five and maybe up to ten minutes somewhere in your day. Uh, in the morning or at the evening before you go to sleep or whatever works for you to find five or ten day, ten minutes where you're just going to work with that redirection, feeling the body, uh, breath in the body or feeling the body sensations in general, just noticing what's here for you to notice in the body and redirecting. So that's a simple part of the meditation. But the other piece of mindful leadership training that is equally important and easy for folks to begin to fit into their days is actually bringing this practice into your day. Because if this practice is only about the time you sit in meditation and the rest of the time you're mindless, then it's not of very much use. Mm -hmm. So there are practices that we teach called purposeful pauses. And the simplest one that you can do right now today, so if you put 10 minutes of practice or 5 minutes of practice with the breath that we just spoke about, and now find one or two purposeful pauses. So let me explain. Purposeful pause you bring to something you do routinely. So if you're going to brush your teeth every day, make brushing your teeth a purposeful pause. And so while you're brushing your teeth, you're going to train the mind. And how you're going to do that is very simply 
be there for the act of brushing your teeth. And by that I mean feel the toothpaste, feel the temperature of the water. When your mind starts heading off to something else, notice it and redirect it. So that same redirection that you do when you're sitting still, you can do while you brush your teeth. Right, you, right. Or you can do it while you eat lunch. If you're going to, even if you're eating at your desk, don't multitask. Don't read the computer while you're eating your sandwich. Oh no! Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. I was like, I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I'm like, oh yeah. Wait, no, I don't do that. I do eat while I'm on my computer. But I, I definitely, I definitely understand and agree. I mean, it's interesting because I make my daughter. I'm like, no. Just eat your dinner. We're going to sit here and eat dinner. We don't have to have the television on. We don't need distractions. Like, let's just enjoy our meal. <laughs> yep, perfect. And that's, a, that's the word that you use there is just so perfect. Enjoy. When we actually give ourselves these moments, these purposeful pauses during our day, they are moments when we can simply, in the example of lunch, enjoy. Nourish our body with food that we chose in that moment. Even if all you have is 10 minutes to mm. eat your lunch, just eat your lunch. Don't do 10 other things while you're eating your lunch. So actually think of it as I'm nourishing my body for these 10 minutes. I'm going to taste my food. I'm going to notice how my body feels. I'm going to notice when I'm hungry and when I'm full. And that's the way you have a little mindfulness break in the middle of your day. And what happens in those 10 minutes of being present is we give our mind and our body some time to reset so that we don't head off to the races and we keep ramping it up all day long as we run meeting to meeting to meeting and we end up exhausted falling into our bed. That few minutes of reset lets our body and our mind come down to a more even place, a more stable place, and then we can continue through our day. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. I love the purposeful pause. And I mean, I can see how that would just have a profound impact you know, on how you move through the day. And, um, I mean, it's definitely something that I have integrated into my daily routine, although I didn't have a name for it. Now I do, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> um, but how long have you been practicing mindfulness, Janice? Um, let's see, more than a decade. I'm trying to think. I guess 11, 11 years. Okay. And so then this question may not, the answer may not come quickly, but do you... Are you able to compare and contrast the difference of having the mindfulness practice in your life versus the time that you didn't? Oh, yes. There's a very big difference. Um, so one of the, and one of the first things that I remember noticing, I had just begun my practice maybe six months or so into um, learning how to, to uh, train the mind in this way. And I was a closet meditator. No, I wasn't telling anyone in my workplace that I was a meditator. <laughs> um, but what I noticed one day was that when I looked at my watch, I didn't have that sense that I had almost every other day before I began practicing, which was, ah, oh, where did my day go today? I had very, very few times when I would reach the end of the day and have that sense of, I don't know what happened today. Uh, and that feeling that I missed something. Uh, and so I think that was one of the, the early uh, indicators. Another thing that happened fairly quickly was 
as I began to find ways to bring, um, at the time, I didn't have a name for it either, but <laughs> bring what, uh, would ultimately develop into this new curriculum, uh, purposeful pauses and mindfulness meditation into mindful leadership, um, I started to notice how I was in that space that I would bring to uh, different conversations, I was more and more able to make a different choice, to notice my own thinking that was heading me toward a place of reacting the way I'd always reacted. And in the spaciousness of being present, I had a few seconds to make a different choice. And I know that um, the Institute has obviously a lot of programs for mindfulness um, specifically targeting or specifically that are helpful for presidents and CEOs. But I would assume that, you know, the training in the programs and mindful leadership in general applies to, you know, just about everyone, right? It does apply to everyone. And in fact, uh, we have at the Institute, we have offerings that are uh, geared toward Everyone. So I would explain that first by saying that our definition of leader is someone with influence. So it's not about titles and it's not about how many people you manage. It's not about what you're, it's really about influence. And if you think about it for a moment, each of us has an influence. For better or worse, we influence others. <laughs> and so each of us has the capacity to lead with excellence, whether we're talking about leading our families, leading our community groups, or leading a multinational corporation. Now, the curriculum that, as I mentioned, focuses on focus, clarity, creativity, and compassion, well, who doesn't need more of that? Any of those things. Right. The ability to focus, the ability to see clearly what's here, that's often a really um, important and uh, interesting place for us as we begin to learn mindful leadership. And then compassion, and particularly for women, but this is true for all of us who are uh, type A, multitasking, very uh, execution-oriented folks. Compassion starts with self-compassion. And we're usually pretty bad at that. I certainly was. Mm -hmm. um, and so we think that our we need to take care of everyone, and it's a wonderful thing, and we should take care of each other, but we can't forget to put ourselves in that group of everyone, because we're in everyone, too. And we need uh, self-care as well. So self-compassion, understanding what's in our lives, what are the things that are creating difficulties in our lives, and then um, taking some steps to alleviate those, whatever they are. And then compassion toward others and the compassion toward our community. What is it in our community? Because we're all interconnected. So that's an important part of compassion as well. So those four things, everyone benefits from that kind of mindful leadership training. Absolutely, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Is, is that what your book is about? I hear you're writing a book. Yes, uh, Finding the Space to Lead. And it's, uh, the subtitle is A Practical Guide to Mindful Leadership. And my purpose in writing the book was to give people a way to enter into this journey, enter into this training of the mind. And I really hope people hear that this is training the mind. Mindful leadership is training the mind. It's not religion. It's not new agey. It's based <laughs> in neuroscience and uh, in hard research 
Um, so the book really is a step-by-step um, journey through, well, how do I do this? And how do I bring it into my life in real terms? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Janice, thank you so much for spending that time with us and giving us a really good understanding of mindfulness and some practices that we can start integrating, you know, today into our day and know that, you know, it's going to have a positive impact on us and, you know, today and then even in the long run. So it was all very helpful information. So I thank you for sharing it. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, enjoy the journey. Yeah. And enjoy your journey and your day. Thank you. Thanks so much, Janice. So thanks again to Janice so much for sharing all that information. I thought it was really helpful. The Institute really does offer some great programs, you know, that show us exactly what we need to do. And I've included the link to the nonprofit Institute on the show page. Also, if you get a chance, you should drop by the Institute for Mindful Leadership's website. You can find it at instituteformindfulleadership.org. And as I was saying earlier, I'm going to include that link as well as another link that Janice shared with some programs and some upcoming retreats that the Institute is giving. As we continue to hear, right, it's just about making the right choices. And that really is the possibility of today because we can choose starting today to do the right things that we need to, to control our stress and not let our worries control us or anything for that matter, just take up too much space in our mind. It's like that great quote. It's one of my favorites by Lena Horan reminds us, it's not the load you carry that bothers you. It's the way you carry it. And getting better and better at moving through the day mindfully is not something that's going to take thousands of days or hours to practice. It's just about choosing today to do it differently. And to that point, I wanted to share one final clip with you from the neuroscientist, Dr. Davidson, because in that same interview that we heard earlier, he explained just that, you know, that it doesn't take thousands of hours. And that's really just a myth because our brain is constantly changing. And so we have the ability to make sure it's changing in the right way. And of course, then we'll see noticeable improvements in just one hour and a half. Listen to how Dr. Davidson explains it. It doesn't take thousands of hours to change the brain. That's a myth, and it's not true. In fact, there are recent data that show that there are structural changes that can be produced in the brain from one and a half hours of training. Structural changes, not just functional changes. So the structure of our brains are continuously being dynamically modulated. Knowing that, I think, should give us all an impetus to, to change our brains in, in healthier ways. And I really think that just summarizes everything we've been talking about, you know, so well, because it really is about being intentional and thoughtful and aiming to do the right things and, you know, really committing to making these changes that we need to in our mind. And we saw the evidence and the science that supports it. We saw how mindfulness is working in prison populations and with cancer patients. We know the NFL could do exactly what Phil Jackson did with his players and integrate it into practice so that they could start living more mindfully. And of course, now we know specifically the things that we need to do 
starting today to move through our day differently. Those things that Janice Martirano from the Institute for Mindful Leadership recommended that we start doing right away in terms of taking those moments throughout our day to pause and starting off with just, you know, five to 10 minutes of just silencing our minds and and really focusing on, you know, enjoying whatever it is we're doing, whether that's eating lunch or doing anything else that we really should be just enjoying and experiencing and making certain we're only focused on one thing at a time. And we know if we just can commit to doing that, it's going to eliminate so many worries and so much stress. So that is the show for the day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your day and your week, and we'll catch up again next time. And as always, live today better than yesterday. To learn more about making a change in your life, visit possibilityoftoday.com. Don't forget to like Sybil's Facebook page by clicking the Facebook icon on her Web Talk Radio profile page. You can also follow her on Twitter using the handle at Sybil Chavis. Thanks for listening this week, and remember to be entertained, be inspired, be informed. Thank <laughs> you.